Hey everyone, thank you for listening to the Kinetic Conversations Financial Podcast, episode 23. And I know that it has been a while since we got a chance to connect. Obviously been out for almost a year, I can't believe it. Um, been doing so many different things and I'll share a few of those with you guys. Um, but really excited to be able to come back and re-engage with you guys, kind of get back into the flow of things. Um, over the past, I'd say 10 to 11 months, been doing so many different things. My wife and I purchased some more houses, so... The rental property portfolio is growing. Uh, we are in the process of building our own home, so that's super exciting. So I uh, have had to dedicate a lot of time to that. Uh, but nonetheless, I feel invigorated. I feel um, vibrant again, just being able to come back and share different insights and uh, provocative conversations that I think will ultimately help not only you guys, but most importantly, myself. I do this as kind of like a electronic journal to kind of highlight different uh, dogmas and philosophies that I'm kind of tussling with or thinking about or things that I ultimately have already, you know, just grown to accept and that I use in my day-to-day life. Uh, but those are a few things that are happening. Obviously, we're going to get back more on a consistent cadence. I'm going to bring some more guests on, just other ways that we can, like I said, have really thought-provoking conversations around finances, around the world at large, around communities. Um, and we want to look at it at a macro and a micro level. And it'll be sometimes the conversations may be a little bit more granular or specific to you know, a specific uh, subset, or it may be something a little bit more holistic where we're just kind of talking about, you know, Indian world hunger or all of the different things that um, we deal with in this crazy life that we lead. But super excited to, to be back with you guys to discuss, obviously, finances. You guys know that I believe that financial literacy is the fulcrum um, in the ultimate impetus to success. Um, and so that's why I've tried to keep this podcast going. Um, obviously took a little bit of a break as I highlighted previously, but I personally care about the mindset um, as it pertains to millennials because that's the age group and, and younger, hopefully uh, the generation even under millennials, um, Gen Z are also starting to really care about finances, but obviously, you know, they they have time. But um, as a millennial right here at the ripe age of 30, um, that's something that I'm really particularly heartened about is the state of financial literacy and uh, efficacy in, in the world and, you know, communities at large. So uh, today is going to be kind of a unique conversation. Um, a lot has happened. Somebody who I look at as a mentor and someone that I have learned a great deal from on just how I feel like to be a man, a man of value, a man of reason, a man of substance, um, you know, was taken from us in the physical form. But uh, that actually his passing is actually why I felt this desire to want to make sure that I'm doing everything that I possibly can uh, to, to continue to perpetuate the message, the message um, of sustainable growth, the message of continuing to evolve, uh, just making sure that I go out of my way to really push forward and continue that message. Um, and so I'm really, really excited about today's episode. And without further ado, we'll go ahead and get into it. So in episode 23, I have entitled it Why You Can't Afford to Be Careless. And I'm sure on the outset, you may say, what does carelessness really have to do with finances? And I hope to kind of 
elucidate and make that a little bit more clear throughout this episode. So I derived the concept, actually, my favorite probably movie or movies in the universe is The Godfather, uh, Godfather 1 and Godfather 2 in particular. Um, and if you've had the opportunity to watch Godfather, the first one, Vito Colleoni, who is then the Don and the leader, he um, kind of starts to get older and he is about to turn over the operation to his son, <clears throat> excuse me, his son, Michael. And in the, the movie, he tells his son as they're sitting in the, in the backyard, he says, I spent my entire life trying not to be careless. Women and children can afford to be careless, but not men. And I think that this is really important because I think it's no secret that we just happen to live in a world now, it seems, of, of carelessness and apathy. But one of the ones that I'm particularly heartened by is the carelessness, the apathy that I see amongst young men every day. And the reason why I think it's really important for me to specifically speak, and maybe this may you know impact ladies as well, this particular episode. But the reason why I wanted to speak to men and young men is because that's where I'm at. Right. I'm I'm a young man. I'm a man in this world. And I also believe that men serve as the backbone to our communities. We serve as gatekeepers. Um, and the only way in particular our communities can continue to grow and evolve is it has to be rooted in strong men, strong gatekeepers, strong people who set, you know, expectations on, hey, this is how we're going to get us to the next level. And that's not to say that obviously women don't have their place in in ultimately growing communities. We understand that the the primary birthing of culture and beyond comes from comes from women. But today I really wanted to speak to men as it pertains to financial literacy and efficacy and why we simply cannot afford to be careless. If you think about it, it's really personal to me because the state of men, I feel like we are kind of in a crisis, especially young men, where we're seeing men all across the world, young men all across the world, just abdicating their responsibility and they're wiltering under the pressure because simply in this life, it has become easier to be careless than it is to actually put in and do the work. I'm actually thinking about the other day I was driving down the road and I seen a guy roll down his window and he just threw, you know, like literally like paper plates or whatever the case. And we live in a, a, a nice community. So I was kind of surprised about it. Um, and he threw paper plate out and I looked and I was just like and it really it really agitated me internally because I said it, you will never understand the impacts of littering unless you've had to be somebody who's ever had to pick up litter behind somebody. And we understand and it is important to realize that every decision you make in life has a consequential impact on connected externalities, being that no matter what you think you're doing, you may think that it is an isolated incident when you don't take care of your finances, when you're not uh, doing your best to become a domain expert, to try to learn, to try to put yourself in an appreciable uh, earning capacity. You may think that that doesn't have any impact, but every time that we as men drop the ball, somebody else has to pick that up. I'm heartened to think about the black community where I think about, um, you know, there's a statistic out that says 80 percent of all children born in the black community are born out of wedlock. That means that they're being born to unwed parents, mother or, or father. And when you think about that, you wonder why there has been such a fracturing in our community. And I think it is largely because we have a bunch of people littering, but nobody willing to pick up the trash. 
when I think about things like I see that young men, specifically black men, are reading at a fourth grade reading level, I carry that in my soul. I carry that in my in my heart and I try to promote it every chance I get. If you've ever had the opportunity to interact with me directly, especially men, I always ask like, hey, how are you doing? And then after that, I always say, be sure to make smart decisions. And I know that to say make smart decisions may seem kind of amorphous and may seem like, what are you talking about? But I, what I what I try to promote and advocate is that people, especially men, think and make smart decisions. I think it is imperative to understand that the state of our of our world, our economy, it's all like precariously dependent upon our abilities to provide to actually make something happen. And I was talking to a friend the other day and I was telling him that the scariest thing about this generation is, is, is that there is no there's no definitiveness anymore. And he kind of was like, well, what do you mean? And I told him I had read an article previously that had talked about in the uh, 2020 election, how for the first time in our lives, we really felt like democracy was being threatened. And in the article, they theorized a concept known as loser's consent. And they said for the first time ever, we actually never knew what it would be like if the loser didn't consent that they lost. And at the time, it was uh, the incumbent president, Donald Trump, who they were saying he's going out and he's saying, yo, it was a hoax. It didn't work. And they were like, well, we never in America have ever had to deal with the loser saying whether they won or lost. It was just a true acknowledgement of like, hey, the better man won or better woman won and we move on. But for the first time. There wasn't that overt loser's consent. And that philosophy is something that I feel like is permeating our society as a whole, where there is not a lot of loser's consent anymore. There's not a lot of people just being able to step back and say, hey, I'm losing. I need help. Now it's like you can literally be lost (laughs) and you still say, but I won because I said I won. Right. I I laugh because I think about this, this quote that I hear people say all the time in the, in the social media uh, sphere where they'll say, you know, I am the table. (laughs) Right. And and it is such a sophomoric and such an immature concept because if you know anything truly about business, you realize that business is not, that you say, I did it myself. It's about who your partners are, right? The only way that you can truly grow is, is that you want investors, you want people, you need partners along the way. But we live in this, this culture now where it is so, it is so self-serving. It is so subjugated to, I did this individualistically as opposed to owning whether we won or we lost. And in order to truly reach financial literacy and solvency is you must first take an honest assessment of where you are. And so to the fellas who may be listening, gentlemen, excuse me, um, you really have to step back and take a detailed look at where you are. If you're losing in life or if you're behind, you have to acknowledge that I carry with me on a regular basis. I talk to my friend often and I tell him one of the things that really jolts me is, is I say, I know how much money I make. I'm like, I know the way that I save all of these different things. And I say, if I'm terrified and I don't even have children yet, um, I'm in a, you know, a much better financial state than most people. I say, if I'm in that situation and I'm terrified, 
what is going on with the people around, right? I see people who make a fraction of what I make and they're just kind of walking around real careless and insouciant. And today, that's why I wanted to have this particular topic about why you cannot afford to be careless. You can't afford to be apathetic. You can't afford to continue to shirk the responsibility. It's like the aforementioned uh, scenario that I, I had already spoken about, which is littering, right? Is that you can't continue to litter and understand that, hey, somebody has to come up and clean behind you. And it is now time for the onus to be laid at our feet to say, hey, we're going to make this better. We're going to fix it in our world and specifically our community. And I mean, the black community, we're in crisis mode pertaining to finances and literacy. I was reading a recent article in The Washington Post that said in 1968, a typical middle class black household had six thousand six hundred and seventy four dollars in wealth compared to $70,786 for the typical middle-class white household. According to a data set from uh, the Survey of Consumer Finance, and they adjusted it for inflation, that even in 2016, the typical middle-class black household had $13,000 in wealth versus 149000 in white households. And that was an even larger gap as it pertains to percentage terms. And obviously, I know there's those of you guys who are going to, you know, tell me that, oh, it's because of, you know, racial disparity and all those different things. And it's not my my goal ever to uh, demean that. But I think that at some point we have to step back, especially our generation, and stop using different justifications. And I use justifications and I didn't say excuses, but I'm going to say justifications to say I'm behind because of this, because at a certain point. We can't continue to use that because there are those who have continued to excel and climb over those walls. Our predecessors who came before us, you know, I always tell people, I say, if you think about, you know, our great great grandparents and those that, you know, were sold into slavery and all those that came before them, they would they would mock us <laughs> staggeringly to hear some of the things that we complain about. We'll walk in and say, did you see how that person was looking at me in a restaurant? It's like. They're like, man, there was times we couldn't even go in the restaurant. Right. There were times that they were eating out of horse troughs and, you know, having to to do all type of really horrible and horrific things just to to be able to survive, you know, from a food standpoint. So I've always been one of those people that I don't spend a lot of time discussing where this because of that, because I think that if anything, we've shown that we have a propensity to be resilient. But one thing that I often tell people is, is, is that you must understand the difference between two groups of competitors. And they talk about this oftentimes in sports where they'll say that team is good, but they don't know how to play with the lead. And when they say that, that's pretty much meaning that if they start out and they're winning, they don't know how to continue to sustain it. But then there's other teams that are really good and they're pugilistic because they say they're really good on defense. They know how to come from behind. And I think that that is something that our community has particularly leaned into too much is, is that we don't know how to play with the lead. Like if it's defense and it's us talking about the struggle and where we came from and all those different things, oh, we'll dominate. But when it's, hey, we need you to, to lead from the front, we tend to shirk that responsibility. And that's what I, as one of the you know assumed gatekeepers, want to try to promote is, is that, hey, we can lead from the front. One of the things that I feel like is particularly hurt in our community and our generation at large is that we no longer crown winners and losers. 
it's all subjective. It's all arbitrary. It's all if I say I'm winning, I'm winning. And it's like, no, that's not the case. I remember when I used to have a sales team and I used to as a as a sales manager, I used to have a team of about 26 uh, direct reports. And I remember I used to tell them all the time when I would come to talk to them and discuss various KPIs and discuss where they were on their overall performance. And obviously what I had noticed was there was always kind of a, a tendency from the lower performers to give me all this commentary on why they were where they were. Right. And I used to after a certain point, I finally would just look at him and I would say, you know, dashboard doesn't have a comment section. And what I mean by that is, is like the rankings don't have a comment section. They don't care whether you were out because you were sick or because you had a flat tire or because, you know, you come from a single family home or any of that dashboard does not have a comment section. And the same thing is apropos to life. The dashboard of life doesn't have a comment section. It doesn't care whether you were born black or white. It doesn't care whether you were born short or tall. It doesn't care if you were born to opulence or poverty. It does not care. And to the gentlemen who are listening, we have to rid ourselves of the built in justifications and excuses of I am this because of thus. Because at the end of the day, I often say this history does not favor context it only favors and highlights the winners and losers i'm going to say that again history does not favor context it only favors and highlights the winners and losers so so many times people spend time trying to pontificate and say oh i'm this because of that because i was born into these conditions because nobody taught me this at the end of the day there's a quote, quote, excuse me, from Earl uh, Nightingale, who said, we are all self-made, only the successful admit it. And I don't know about you, but every time I hear that quote, it jolts me because it lets me realize that, like, there's a reason why people who have a lot of opulence are always fine with being up front. They don't mind putting their names on buildings. They don't mind putting their names on libraries. They don't mind monuments being made in their honor. Why? Because they believe that they are self-made. But if we took that same onus and that same responsibility to believe that that applies to every single one of us on planet Earth, you'll realize that when you look in the mirror, you're a direct reflection of the choices you make. You'll realize that when you look in your driveway, you're a direct reflection of the choices you make. Obviously, I'm not saying that you have to drive a certain kind of vehicle, but if there's something about your life that you do not like, you are a direct reflection of that. And that is so, so jolting to realize that we are largely the perpetuators of our own greatness or our own decline. And so you must lean into that and stop using justifications and excuses to say, I'm this because of that. Because I said, history doesn't favor context. You could say, oh, I was winning, but this happened to me. I was down or I could have been this, but we've all dealt with those hometown heroes along the way where they tell you, oh, I was going to go to the NBA if I didn't tear my Achilles or, oh, I would have been this star quarterback if I didn't throw out my, you know, my rotator cuff. At the end of the day, the only ones we remember are the winners and the losers. Did you make it or did you not? And so to the gentlemen and the ladies that may be listening, I want you to step back today and say, do you want to be a winner or a loser? At the end of the day, do you want to be remembered as somebody who made stuff happen 
or somebody who just said, oh, I, I could have if I didn't run into these different preclusions, if I didn't run into these particular challenges, the obstacles, the way. So you have to overcome. Um, there was a kind of a think tank that took place in 1954, and it was the introduction of a concept. It became a book and now it's on YouTube. And if you ever get a chance to watch it, um, it it's actually really thought provoking. But it was uh, entitled How to Sell to the Negro. And I'm going to use that word kind of interchangeable with 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 men. Right. So and maybe this may they may help ladies, but particular uh, I'm talking to the guys today on how to sell to the Negro or how to sell to the man. And it speaks to the vices and the pitfalls and the strengths of the black community. In that particular, you know, uh, dialogue, they enumerated 12 things that they believe must be done to succeed. And this was in 1954. And it kind of highlighted, you know, some of the things that make us great, some of the reasons why we're able to be one of the more larger consumer groups. But what I want to ultimately shift is, is I want us to remove a lot of the weight that we place in being really great consumers and I want us to actually be the ones creating the consumer goods. And that is my ultimate goal is, is I want us to shift more to ownership as opposed to us buying things, but never owning things. And one of the things that they said, and I'll kind of highlight a few that stood out to me, was it says that you must learn to put first things first. And the first things are education, development of character traits a trade and home ownership. Now, naturally, when you hear education, we lean into that and say, oh, yeah, yeah, we're all going to college. That's not what they mean by education. Education is that you are learning something, that you are doing something that is didactic, something that is tutorial, something that is ultimately making you better. That is an appreciable asset that you can take out into the workplace, into the world and charge a premium for it because you're that good at it. A trade. They already said that home ownership. I mean, I, I didn't take the time today, but if you look at the the statistics around home ownership, it is staggering. And so when I was very early in my 20s, I said, I'm going to own real estate. And I obviously still work a, a salary job. But in the in the side, my wife and I own real estate. And one of the reasons why I've been approached for, you know, being able to sell it for nearly double of what I purchased it for, purchased a, the properties for two years ago. And I always say that I'm not going to sell it is because I want to hold on to it long enough that my children can then have it and they can make a determination. But I want to have something that is physically able to be passed down. So home ownership is vitally important to the overall growth of wealth and success. The other thing it says was you must stop expecting God and others to do what he can do for himself. Stop looking around saying I can do this if somebody can help me. No, you have to get out and you have to make it happen. You have to be the practitioner of your own good, of the own growth model that you want to follow. Stop looking around waiting for people to do it, right? You can actually become a domain expert. You can actually become better, but you have to do it at your own volition as opposed to looking to others to do it for you. The third one that they said was he must keep himself, his children, in his home clean, he must make the surroundings in which he lives comfortable and attractive. And the older I get, I have really started to lean in. And it's so funny that you actually become your parents. Right. And when I was young, I used to always wonder, like, 
why in the world do people like watch the local news and they care about who the mayor is going to be and who's you know the the primary sheriff and all of these different things i was unsure of it what is the tax rate and all these things now that you realize make make up the community but one of the things that i realized is that in a lot of these communities we live in a community um you know, on the onset where our house is being built, where there are HOAs and there are, you know, different just folklores and norms that they have over there. But one of the things that I realize is that in communities like that, there are what they call social contracts where people are holding the other person accountable where it's like, hey, I came over and mowed your lawn because we want the overall street to look better. And that same thing has to apply in our communities where we must actively care about our surroundings. We have to make sure that like, hey, I don't want litter on the ground. I want this place to be safe. I want it to be clean because ultimately that is brand identification, right? And we have to improve our overall ethnic image. And the way that we do that is by being stalwart leaders in our communities and beyond. The other thing that it says is that a man must learn to dress more appropriately for work and for leisure. And I'm not going to get into that, but I will tell you this, that you play how you practice and how you want to be perceived is largely contingent. You know, they say within three to five seconds, people make a determination on who you who and what you are right off of just appearance alone. So it's really important to make sure that you understand that your overall um, presentation is vital to people's perception of you. The other thing is, is it says that the man must highly be resolved to wipe out mass ignorance. And that's a large impetus on why I am doing this podcast is because ultimately I hope that it latches on and I've never done it because I want to be promoting or I think I'm going to be the next Joe Rogan or I'm going to get a hundred million dollars or anything. No, I just wanted to kind of have this on wax that like this is something that you can play in your car on the way to work. And like I said, I don't have all the insights, but I hope that it sparks and it activates and it engages you to say, I want to learn more about a particular thing. So we must highly resolve to wipe out mass ignorance. We can no longer use the plight of ignorance as why we are not succeeding. The other thing is a man must stop charging his failures up to his color, his creed or beyond or other people's attitudes or perceptions of him. You can't start keep saying, oh, I'm this way because I was born like this or I was born to this. Take someone like me born to a single mom didn't come born from opulence and I've been able to work my way up obviously by God's grace but through hard work and busting my tail so stop using excuses on why you are where you are the other thing was it says that the man must overcome his bad job habits and I see this often where people you know and I know that it, it makes for good fodder on social media but you'll see people say oh I'll walk out of my job if this if my manager asked me to do this I'll do this and one of the things that I've been particularly heartened by I've gotten promoted again since the last time that we got in this role uh, since I had made the last podcast and one of the things that I was particularly always happy about is my boss lives in Dallas Texas and I live quite a bit of ways away from where she lives and one of the things that she always tells me is, is like she just appreciates that I'm so like docile and receptive to feedback. And one of the things that I realized along the way is, is like you'll go a lot further in life if you are just receptive and open to feedback. And so you must overcome bad job habits. Don't be showing up to work late. 
If you say you're going to be somewhere and you give people your word, be there, be a stalwart example in the workplace of like, hey, John is John is a stand up man. If he says he's going to be there, he's going to be there. If he says that he's going to do a particular thing, he's going to do it. And that is absolutely vital to our overall ethnic image. But beyond that, our gender image of men, right, is, is that we wouldn't be abdicating our responsibilities if we were standing lockstep with our overall expectation of who we are as men. Uh, the other one was he must improve his conduct in public places. And, you know, I think it was Ronald Reagan who said, speak softly, but carry a big stick. We lean too much these days into to bravado and masculinity. And I'm this because of that. And you should treat me this because no, no, no. True masculinity is subtle. It's humility. It's your ability to conduct yourself as a gentleman in the place. Right. And maybe we live in a world now where I know that they say chivalry dead and these people ain't loyal and you can't trust nobody and all that. But I am one of those people who represents that. I believe that it goes a long way how you treat people. Maya Angelou said, people will forget what you said. They'll forget what you did, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. And from oftentimes, I'll have people who will reach out to me via DM or something. They'll be like, man, I remember when you bought me those pair of shoes. Or I remember when you did this for me. Or I remember I was down. And I'm not trying to use this as an opportunity to promote self. But what I'm saying is, is your overall conduct in the public place speaks volumes of who you are. And lastly, it said that the man must learn how to operate a business for people, not only for a specific group of people. And I challenge you to we got to We got to start broadening our horizons. It's got to be beyond just I own a clothing line. I do this. I do that. And I'm not saying that these little pop ups and things aren't. But we have to really become domain experts. People should be learning about cybersecurity and the cloud and tech and all those step back and, and really become deliberate about what you want. Something that my wife and I talk about quite often is what do we want the constructs of our family to look like before our children are even born? And one of the things that we always talk about is, is that we want to make sure that we spend a lot of time understanding what are the opulent career paths, making sure that we are also putting our kids in STEM programs, understanding that science, technology, engineering and math is one of the primary wealth generators in our world. When you start doing that, that is ultimately what builds strong families a strong man and a strong woman combined congenially together creates a strong family and one of the things that i think is breaking our community in particular in the black community is is that we don't have a lot of strong families and i want you to think about it i'm not saying i'm, I'm the product of a single parent family but i can't tell you that that's how i want it to be and it's something on why I was very determined very early on. I wanted to be married and, and start a family and ultimately do the best that I can because I want to be an example and an exemplification of good, of dominance, of excellence. And so I challenge everyone who's listening, but particularly the, the fellas, the gentlemen out here who are feeling this propensity to be careless and to shirk your responsibility. We can't afford to let somebody else continue to litter on the proverbial lawn. We have to clean this up, you guys. Like if we don't, it's the concept fault versus responsibility. Like, yeah, it may not be your fault, but it's all of our responsibility to make it better. So I jotted down a few things that I feel like will ultimately help us fix this. It'll be slow. But I think it'll be assured. 
And that is, first, we must play the long game. And the long game is that we must focus on succeeding within time, not immediacy. We are so focused and we live in this world now of microwave behavior where it's like, I'm going to get rich in crypto. I'm going to become a content creator. I'm going to do all this. And true wealth is generated slowly and assuredly. It's because of a series of, of consistent, executable steps that allow you to ultimately achieve appreciable growth and success. The second one is that you need to become a domain expert, but also have a novice like learning style. So becoming a domain expert in most circles that I walk into, I typically feel like I have learned a lot when it comes to finances. I could tell you about FICO stores. I could tell you what the definition of a FICO store is. I could tell you about the S&P 500. I could tell you about the NASDAQ, all of those different things, because I spent a great deal of time studying it. But at the same time, I still try to have a novice like learning style. Last night, I reached out to a mentor of mine who's already a millionaire. And I met him through work one time uh, previously. We were on a, a conference call and I heard him mention something about stocks. And I was like, man, he seems to know more about it than I do. And he's 50 years old. But what do I do? I engage him. I reached out to him last night. It's a Saturday at night. And I hit him up on Teams and I was like, hey, you know, I'm making some modifications to my 401k. Just wanted to know your perspective. A week back, I said, hey, I'm, I'm about to buy some stocks, you know, in particular tech companies. Wanted to get your perspective on it. Even though I feel like I am, I, I wouldn't say I'm a domain expert, but even though I feel like I have a, a beyond rudimentary knowledge of particular things as it pertains to finances, I still hold a novice like learning style. The second, excuse me, the third thing is think often about your future and how you want it to be. I remember reading a article one time in a magazine. It's kind of a popular men's magazine and it said uh, online and it said, most people always walk up and say, where do you want to be in life in five years? And it said that you actually should do the inverse and ask yourself, where do you not want to be in five years? And by asking yourself that question, that'll ultimately give you the answers that you need. If you know you don't want to be broke, guess what? It'll naturally force you to look at ways that you can find wealth, that you can find success. If you know that you want to be actively healthier, then you can literally get in Google search and say how to be healthier as a man and you'll see it. But it is inexcusable for us to continue to just to just claim ignorance as the reason why we are the way we are. No more. We're done with that. So think often about your future, whether it's what you want your children to be. The other, I was driving down the road yesterday and I literally was thinking about different things that I plan to do before we even have a child. I literally have it set that like God willing the day that our child is born, I'm going to send a certain amount of money directly into a custodial account for our child. And we're just going to let it grow. So guess what? When my child comes to me and says, Hey, I want to go to Stanford. Okay. We got position for that. My child comes to me and says, I want to be a brain surgeon. I, we, we're good for that. If they come and say, Hey, I don't want to go to school at all, but I want to, I want to continue to grow a real estate portfolio. We have options. But you have to think now about the future and what you want it to be. Remember that opportunity dances with those already on the dance floor. The grass is greener where you water it. So if you want something, you have to take it from concept to launch. So remember that. The, the next one is get a new skill that can generate appreciable income. 
So I hear a lot of people talk on a regular basis that say, oh, I'm this because of that. And you get this kind of like defamed whining about, you know, oh, my goodness, I was bullied as a kid or all those. And I'm not trying to say that those things are insignificant. What I am trying to tell you is, is that you have to get out there and make it happen. So get a new skill that can generate appreciable income. One of the things that I particularly did was I went to school. <laughs> ashamedly, now I say it. I had aspirations that I was going to become a lawyer. So I went to school, got a degree in a bachelor's degree in political science. And then my goal was to go into ultimately like public administration and get a law degree. Fast forward, I make a determination. You know what? I'm making enough money in my current role. And I kind of seen the trajectory. I'm like, well, I could be making six figures within a certain amount of time. So I opted to do kind of what I've done now. But then what I realized is as the proliferation of automation and all those things started to come out, I realized like, hey, I need to actually start getting some different uh, certifications under my belt pertaining to technology. So one of the things that I did at the beginning of the year, I create goals every year. And one of the things that I did was I said, I'm going to get several professional certifications in technology. So I got one in data analytics. I, you know, upgraded my overall bandwidth as it pertains to Microsoft Office and Excel and all of that. Just making sure that I don't want any holes in my game. So on Saturdays, it was hard. I'm not going to lie. Tuesdays in the morning, I'm waking up at 630 in the morning and I'm studying data analytics and I'm trying to learn and do everything that I possibly can because I have to be a domain expert. I cannot afford to be careless because if it doesn't pop with me, who is it going to pop from? <laughs> I don't come from wealth. And I'm sure many of you guys listening to this don't either. So it's important that you get a new skill that can generate appreciable income. And the last one is that you have to think and behave as a leader, be that at home, in business, and in your community. I'm going to say that again. Think and behave as a leader. If you realize that you're a leader, that is going to propel you. The way you dress, the way you speak, all of the different things in your community. You want to be known as a man of honor, a man of dignity, a man of value, a woman of value. You have to behave as a leader. I already try to prepare myself. My goal is that ultimately within the next five to seven years, I want to be an associate vice president in my company. And I work at a really big company, <laughs> number one telecommunications company in the world. Right. So I'm not this isn't small potatoes like, oh, I just want to become a VP at a startup. Right. Like, no, I want to. So I realize that I already have to practice. Part of the reason why I do this this podcast is because ultimately it increases my ability to speak in front of people. It's symbiotic. It's beneficial not only to myself, but to the listeners, hopefully. But at the end of the day, if one person listens to this, if I'm the only audience listening to it at the end of the day, when they hand me a microphone, God willing, five to seven years from now, and I'm sitting on a, on a stage speaking to a panel of people, I'm articulate. And how did I become articulate? I was honing my skills over here in the dark. I was speaking to you guys. I was ultimately doing that. You know, one of the things that I do in my pastime is I read the dictionary. And the reason why I read the dictionary is because I don't want any holes in my game. So if I can use multiple words in order to express emotion or feelings or whatever the case is, guess what? That puts me in the, the top percentile. So when they're coming through and they're saying, hey, tell us why you want this job. And I could speak about KPIs and I could speak about APIs and I could speak about R&D and I can speak about all of these different things. That's because I became a domain expert. So you have to think and behave as a leader. 
in every aspect. I come to my, my wife and I tell her, hey, I'm going to do blah, blah, blah with your finances. I'm a leader in our home, right? I could tell her, hey, I put your money here. She counts on me to be that in my community. My neighbors look at me and they expect that like, yo, he's good for what he said he is. I'm a, I want to be a man of honor. So I challenge you guys to think and behave as a leader. And then in conclusion, uh, it's always been a tradition with the Kinetic Conversations Financial Podcast that I always give a recommended book. So the recommended book this week is going to be Chop Wood and Carry Water by Joshua Metcalf. And this book is phenomenal. It is not long, uh, but it is a book that I think will benefit you guys. It's just about people who are on the grind. It talks to you about the consistency of execution. Simply, it's in the title chop wood carry water and it's about like if you want to be excellent you got to do it every day when it's raining when it's snowing when it's inclement weather whatever the case is you have to do it chop wood carry water so i recommend that you guys get that book listen to it read it i know that there's summary pdfs all on the internet for free but it is a phenomenal book called chop wood and carry water and as we get out of here i'll give you guys a quote that I believe will help you guys. It's something that I've always lived by, something that I learned uh, at my company. And they used to always say that that gets focused gets fixed. That that gets focused gets fixed. So put a lot of focus on what you want to fix. Put a lot of positive energy behind it, because I know that once you do that, you're going to see so much, so much, so much graduated results. And I hope that you continue to go out there and dominate and understand that we in our community as men and women can no longer afford to be careless. I thank you all for listening to this episode of the Kinetic Conversations Financial Podcast. I hope that you are truly activated. I hope you're engaged and I hope that you are inspired. Until next time.